Well, welcome back to the Palview Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Pastor Trey Hinkle, I'm the pastor here at Palview Christian Church in beautiful central Oregon. Uh, we've been going uh, through our Advent series this, uh, this month, uh, preparing our hearts for a time of worship and, uh, and uh, preparation to celebrate Jesus' coming into the world. And as it would happen, uh, Christmas falls on a Sunday. So this sermon is actually a Merry Christmas sermon. Uh, I know that we'll post it there on, on Christmas Day. This is what I will be bringing to our folks on Christmas. And uh, I, I hope that you do have a Merry Christmas. Um, anytime you're in our area, by the way, I'd love to invite you to Palview Christian Church on the weekends. Uh, we've got uh, several services. You can go online, palviewchurch.com, and see uh, what we've got there. If you have uh, found us through uh, the podcast uh, uh, sites. Anyways, here we go. Today we're concluding the Advent series, Heaven and Nature Sing. That was what we called it because we're taking Christmas songs and, and finding out what they really mean. We've kind of broken them down and looked at their theology. And it's been a pretty amazing series. Uh, most people have really appreciated it. And I just, I love songs. I love music. I love Christmas songs. And so this really was up my alley. I, I enjoyed it very much. As we conclude, though, we're going to be looking at one of the most well-known of all Christmas songs, although, as we will discover, it uh, though it could fit in with the message of Christmas, uh, the man who wrote this did not write it to be a Christmas song. It was more uh, about the second coming rather than the first coming of Jesus. He entitled the song, The Messiah's Coming and Kingdom. We know it as Joy to the world. Now, the author of the hymn was a pastor born in the late 17th century. His name was Isaac Watts. Now, apparently, Watts was this brilliant child. He learned Latin at age four, uh, Greek at nine, French at age 10, Hebrew at age 13. And he loved music. He loved rhymes, really. Um, that's really what his forte was. And, and people try to break him up. And he says, no, this is just how his mind worked. When he was in his early 20s, he was frustrated at the quality of the hymns that uh, the church was singing at the time. So his father challenged him, said, well, then, son, if you don't like what we sing, why don't you give us something better to sing? So Watts immediately sat down, rose to the challenge, and wrote out his first hymn. That was well received by the church uh, that he had been attending. And then over the next two years, he would write a new hymn for that church every week. So every Sunday service, they had a brand new hymn by Isaac Watts. He compiled those songs together in a, in a, in a volume that was published. One of those songs, by the way, uh, was uh, a song that we still sing today in church, When I Survey the Wonders Cross. Actually, many of what he wrote, many songs that he wrote are in our hymnals even today. Well, in 1719, the beginning of the 18th century. Watts then penned the Messiah's coming in kingdom, uh, what we know of as joy to the world. Like many of the other songs, uh, it was written as a paraphrase of scripture. That's what Watts loved to do, is to take the concepts that he'd find in scripture 
and rewrite them, paraphrase them in verse form. And uh, this time he took his inspiration from Psalm 98. The Messiah's coming in kingdom. And, and again, that's the point that I made at the beginning. It wasn't intended to focus on the first coming of Jesus, but the second coming. Um, so today, as we break down the song, to discover the uh, theology, again, uh, contained in this masterpiece. I, I think it's best to also probably then uh, take a look at Psalm 98, break that down and see what it's saying as well. But before we look at Psalm 98, let's look at the first verse of the song. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Now, are you ready for this? Let me read to you Psalm 98. It's a short psalm, uh, nine verses. It says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. In his, no, sorry, <clears throat> his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with a harp, with a harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now, you can't help but see in this psalm, this Absolute, unrestrained worship. The psalmist begins by describing voices that are lifted up in singing, but he quickly progresses to the, de the depiction of shouting, bursting into jubilant song with, with instruments, harps, trumpets, horns, along with the voices. Now, I know of congregations throughout history that they hate loud music. They sure would not have liked to have been a part of the congregation that this psalmist was obviously a part of. Man, I, th I think if they'd had electric guitars and drums and all that back then, they probably would have uh, included that in what we should be praising God with. But the loud, raucous, unbridled praise that we see here is not contained in the temple. Oh, no, not in the least. Because now those are joined with the resounding of the sea and everything in it. And then the whole world and everyone in it, and then everything in it, the rivers, the mountains, all creation singing for joy, an at-the-top-of-your-lungs kind of singing in this unparalleled celebration. So it's easy to see, as you look through Psalm 98, where Watts gets his language for joy to the world. Because Psalm 98 describes a celebration unlike any other day in history. It's a day, truly, when heaven and nature will sing. And, and, and this is important. Why would that day bring such joy? Why does all of creation, men and women, and the seas and the rivers and the hills, why would they shout and sing with such joy? The answer actually may surprise you. 
they are rejoicing because of the second coming of Jesus, a time where he will come to judge the world. Huh. You see, it says there in verse 9, he will judge the world with righteousness and he will uh, judge the peoples with equity. Now, most people that I know might not be looking forward to the judgment. Uh, they, they don't think a, a day of judgment is going to be a time of celebration. But folks, when you consider the state of this world and the fact that it wasn't just mankind, but natural creation itself that was subjugated under a curse, you'll see that Psalm 98 has to be this incredibly joyous response. It's like they say, finally, yes, finally, finally the world is going to have the justice that it so desperately needs. Finally, it will have the justice it yearns for. Finally, all wrong will be done away with. Mine, yours, the wrong that my friends do, the wrong that my enemies do, they will all be done away with. Finally, there's going to be peace. Finally, there's going to be justice. Finally, we're going to have a just and holy and righteous ruler. Now, that reminds me of a, another song, another hymn that I grew up singing. It goes, there's coming a day when no heartaches shall come. No more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, what a glorious day that will be. You see, when Jesus the King comes again, the psalmist is saying everything will be set right. Everything. Because he's going to rule the world with righteousness. He's going to judge the people with equity. So joy to the world. Finally, finally we're going to see everything that God had designed come to fruition. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. This Lord who is going to make all things new. So let earth receive this great and mighty king and let every heart open up and prepare room for him and lift their voice along with heaven and earth in joyful singing. So that's the first verse. Let's, let's look at the second verse now. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Now, I know that that sounds a little bit like verse 1. But here we get a little bit more clarity because we see it's a Savior. Um, a Savior reigns. Yes, the Lord has come, but that Lord is also our Savior. And the Savior it doesn't just come to save. The, save. the Savior comes to reign. And then there is a response from God's people that is really a non-negotiable. Because when he comes, when he reigns, we must employ our songs, or in some versions, our tongues. It doesn't matter because they, they both are true. We must employ our songs. We must employ our tongues in song, in worship, in praise to God. And while we do that, we are joined with all of nature fields and floods, rocks, hills, plains, repeating the sounding joy. Now, why? Why is it so important for us to see that nature itself joins with us? Well, it's very intriguing to find out the reason. Paul, the apostle, in his letter to the Romans, tells us of this 
incredible phenomenon. In Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, he explains the creation, the creation, not, not mankind, but creation, the world. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, which would be obviously at the end of time. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Can you imagine? You see the beauty of the Cascades here in our area. From our campus, we see all seven peaks of the, the Cascade Mountains in, in the Central Oregon area. Um, I grew up in California where there was Yosemite. I've been to Yellowstone, uh, took a tour of a lot of the different uh, national parks down in Utah where there's Bryce Canyon and Zion and, and uh, Arches. Man, creation is beautiful. But creation has been subjected, we are told, to bondage, uh, to corruption. And so as beautiful as this world is now, can you imagine what's going to happen when they finally break from the curse, from the bondage, from the corruption that they were subjected to when sin entered into the picture? Can you imagine what Yosemite or what uh, Arches or what Yellowstone National Park is going to look like when God brings about restoration to the earth? All creation, Paul says, is groaning for the Savior to come and finally reign because at that point they will have broken their bondage chains and they will become what they had been designed to be from the very, very beginning, just like you and me. So, of course, they're going to be singing. They're going to be joining in because for them, it will be sounding joy that they will be able to repeat when Jesus reigns. Now, some people... They say, well, but isn't Jesus already reigning? Well, okay, you, you, that's an interesting thing. Um, because yes, he is, and well, no, not really. I mean, yes, it's true that uh, true believers, they have acknowledged Jesus in their lives as Lord and Savior, and so he does rule in their life right now. He is, in that sense, reigning over them. And according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, right before he gave us the Great Commission, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So yes, he has been given all authority and is reigning in the lives of his church, his people. But again, when you consider the condition of the world, man, so much sin, so much corruption, it's messed up and it's not getting better. It's so evident that not everybody has made Jesus Lord. There are still so many people in rebellion against the true king in this world. And because of people who refuse to submit, though Jesus is truly earth's king, there is so much more territory that he must claim under his authority. So the world, in the meantime, is trying to rule itself without Jesus as their Lord. Maybe if you're listening to this today, maybe you find yourself today in that category as well. I don't know. 
Maybe you've acknowledged that there is a God. Okay, you have no problem. You're not an atheist. And you might even attend church services occasionally or even often. But I know people who have acknowledged that there is a God, people who even go to church fairly often, but they still live their life on their own terms. And that may be where you are today, where you like the fact that he's Savior, but you can't really truly submit to him as Lord yet. But I heard a saying a long time ago, decades ago, unless Jesus is Lord of all, that he isn't Lord at all. You see, it's not a, I get to cherry pick and take parts of God, parts of Jesus and his rule. But others, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, no, I'll take care of this in my life. That doesn't work. See, you might call him Savior, but until you come to the understanding of what it means for him to be your Lord, then you're going to have a difficult time getting excited, I think, about the second coming. Because I, I know so many people who would consider the great day of the Lord, that day of salvation, actually the great and terrible day of the Lord. Because it's going to be frightening. They, they don't know really where they stand. They, they know that there's going to be a reckoning. And that reckoning, well, they just soon as not see, you know. It's a little scary. But for those who have made Jesus both Savior and Lord, who I call true believers, the, the great day of the Lord will be just that. It will be the greatest day of their lives. It will be for them the greatest day in history. Because Jesus comes back to defeat all of his enemies and to set up his kingdom and to reign as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords finally. And finally, this world will be exactly what God had designed it to be. Now let's move on to the third verse of the song. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. So what is this? curse that we read about here, that we sing about. Well, that curse actually happened all the way back in the beginning of time, back in Genesis. In chapter 3, God, we find that God had created this paradise, and he had this relationship with Adam and Eve that was exactly what he designed it to be. But, but the serpent came and tempted Adam and Eve to not trust God anymore, to not obey his his one don't, right? Don't eat from the fruit of that tree. Well, they were tempted. They were told that they couldn't really trust God because he didn't trust them with the kind of knowledge that they would receive if they could have that fruit. So they rebelled. And there's a consequence of that rebellion. There was a curse that was brought onto humanity. In fact, as we see you know, from the second verse, there was a curse that was put on the entire world. One part of that curse was all about thorns infesting the ground, just like verse 3 says. Genesis three seventeen and 18. To Adam, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And then a little bit later on, he says, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You know, I, I think back on that. What a heartbreaking moment. You had a perfect relationship 
this amazing intimate connection with God the Father, but now it's been broken. Now everything that God had designed to give to us to bring us fulfillment, our work life, our, uh, the, our family life, childbirth, intimacy with our spouse, all of these things now fall under a curse. Because now things aren't going to be as easy as what God had designed them to be. Uh, joyful. Fulfilling, yes, they could be, but still, through, through struggle and through pain, that's where you're going to find the fulfillment. And there, there will be then struggle and pain throughout life, in your work life, in childbirth, even in relationships between men and women. So, though at times it seems like one of the best things ever, sin turns out to be a deceiver because it looks like it's fun. But in the end, it brings despair and struggle. It brings pain. It brings brokenness. But what, what a great word picture. Thorns and thistles. Things that can prick us to make us bleed, to make us hurt. Th things that are hard to, to dig out of the ground so that we can actually find fulfillment and, and, and what God had designed for us to, to have nourishment from, from the ground. Now it's too hard to get. It's very, very hard. That's what sin does. It brings struggle. It brings pain. Sin also brings death. We talked about this in my last sermon. The joyous message that we must hear from the angel's announcement was that Jesus, through his own death, defeated death for us. So though sin gives birth to death, Jesus comes so that there is no more death. Jesus comes so that there's no more sting. And though we must still leave these bodies one day in this life, you know, and though as believers we have a hope of a resurrection into new and glorious bodies in the kingdom of God, one day, though, even though that's true, that we will taste a physical death in this life, and even though we know that we're one day going to have glorious bodies in the kingdom of God, the book of Revelation tells us that one day, when Jesus comes back, there will be no more death. Revelation 21, 3 and 5. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Oh, I know, by doing ministry for over three decades, I know that many of you know tragedy, disease, accidents, cancer. The, the curse of sin reaches every facet of life. It's real. The curse is real, but you know what is just as real as the curse? The mercy and the faithfulness of a God who created us for relationship. Man, God's mercy blows my mind. Because even though we were in rebellion, when we were still his enemies in our sinful state, God realized what we needed. And he wanted to mend the relationship. So he sent Jesus down to earth so he could be the one who would actually reverse the curse. In fact, he became the curse for us 
Galatians chapter 3, 13 tells us that Christ redeemed us from that curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's why Jesus' death on the cross was so important. There were times in his life where people tried to stone him. Um, they were also looking for other ways of trying to find a way of getting rid of him. It needed to have been crucifixion because of that uh, law in, in the Old Testament that cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He became a curse. At his death, Jesus reversed the curse in order to renew creation. The curse has now been confronted. But the total effects of that curse obviously still are around. It still lingers in this world. So when Jesus comes again, the second time, to judge the world in righteousness and the people's inequity, everything is going to be changed. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. So wherever the curse is, that's what this verse means uh, in the song. Wherever the curse is, blessings are going to flood over it when Jesus comes back. Isn't that a reason for incredible joy? <laughs> Finally, verse 4. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. And wonders of his love. And wonders, wonders of his love. Here's my main point today. Today, Jesus might truly be reigning over your life. But one day, God's design, God's plan is that Jesus will be reigning over all people, over all the nations. He will make the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. One day, Jesus will rule the entire world. That message is seen throughout the lyrics of the song, by the way. Joy to the world, right? Joy to the earth. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare room. He comes to make his blessings flow. How far? As far as the curse is found, which is the entire world. Everyone. That's who he has come to reign over. That's not happening right now. That will only happen when he comes again. Now, I want us to go back real quick to the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, to the message that the angel gave to the shepherds. Luke 2, 8 through 10 says, In the same region there were shepherds out of the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, check this out, the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Right now, there's people who do not see the gospel of Jesus Christ as good news. But one day, one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Because for whom is the good news intended, according to the angels? It's supposed to be for everyone, for all the people, right? Now, here's where we come in, because God has given us a commission. Jesus has said, I'm leaving you here on earth for a reason because you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about the gospel. See, if you, if you believe that the good news is intended for everyone, and if you believe what Psalm 98 says about 
God one day judging the world, then wouldn't it make sense for you as one of Jesus' disciples to take that commission seriously? So that as you are going about your life, you're actually looking for ways to be his witnesses. Whether that is just in your actions and your um, attitudes, or whether you are actually building relationships with people so that you might be able to share with them the hope that you have in Jesus. As you tell his story, as you do your part in fulfilling the Great Commission, which was to make disciples. You see, God has always been a missionary God. He told his people throughout history to go out, be fruitful, multiply, which is essentially Jesus' message to us as well. He chose a man named Abram to bless and through him to bless the entire world. According to Paul, when we're in God's family, we are his ambassadors, called to go to those who are still living under the curse to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. What he will do completely and perfectly when he comes back, we are to be at that work before he comes back. Because the idea is that God wants people to prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. You see, God, according to Scripture, does not want anyone to perish. And so he's patient. He's giving mankind time to repent. So he's giving us time to be faithful and obedient to the Great Commission. One thing that we know from Psalm 98 is that God's judgment will always be right and done with perfect equity. So nobody is going to be justifiably able to say, that's not fair. You didn't give me a chance. God wants to give people a chance. Oh, and by the way, for those who never got to hear the message, I believe that God does have a plan, and I trust that plan, that he will be fair and righteous and will judge with equity far better than my own poor ability to, to be fair and righteous. And yet, even though we do know that there's a plan, I, I believe that there's a plan for those who are living out in the remote parts of the world, I do know also this, we live in a Western world where the gospel is presented each and every day. This is where we live. And God has called us to be faithful where we live. So that the cry of, oh, that's not unfair. It won't be true. It won't be true. Especially if we've done our job in being witnesses for who Jesus is and what the gospel story is all about. So I'm going to conclude with this challenge. Are there people in your life who today could not sing joy to the world, the Lord has come, with as much excitement as God wants it to, to be sung with. If there are people in your life who have not yet understood what it means to have Jesus as our Savior and Lord, who may not be looking forward to the great day of the Lord, I, I want to challenge you to be in prayer, beginning right now, that in 2023, three, and this upcoming year, that God's going to give you a chance to build a bridge into somebody's life. Somebody who's close to you somehow, somewhere, in your neighborhood, your workplace, in your family, that God will give you a chance to build a bridge into their life. Somebody's life who needs to hear of the light and the life that Jesus brings, <laughs> risen with healing in his wings. And then, my challenge is, is then, throughout the year, 
look for opportunities to show these people that, that, that God will bring to your mind, to show these people how much God does love them and how desperately he wants them to join in that jubilant song at the end of time where all heaven and nature will join in to sing joy to the world, the Lord is come. And for that then to be their final salvation. All right, well, that's the last uh, message that we are bringing in 2022. Um, thanks for uh, joining us, for listening. Uh, I know that we have many faithful uh, followers on this podcast. Uh, I'm excited about that. I'm encouraged by that. Uh, again, I thank my team, uh, executive producer Lisa Welly, our technical producer uh, Steve Pittman. And um, boy, it's, it's just been a great uh, time to be able to connect with you through this podcast. Look for us in 2023. We're going to continue through the Gospel of Luke. We're not quite done yet. In fact, we'll probably conclude it right around Easter time with the resurrection of Jesus. So until then, I hope that you have a very Merry Christmas and a good time this holiday season with family and friends, that you stay safe, and that you continue to shine with the light of Christ in your life. <laughs>